That is an old school comment. Where's your center folds? You have tuned in to PodSAM, the podcast channel of SAM Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. Small ski areas thrived last season as people stayed closer to home and new skiers and riders came out in droves. How will these areas fare this winter as COVID continues to impact travel and recreation, and more locals now have a connection to their local hill? On this episode, we huddled live and in person at the ski areas of New York and Pennsylvania Expo at Holiday Valley Resort in New York to talk about the upcoming season. A special thank you to the Holiday Valley team for recording our live participants. This huddle conversation was supported by Doppelmeyer. We'll start the conversation here with Sam publisher, Olivia Rowan. Thanks for joining us today on our Monday huddle. I'm Olivia Rowan, publisher of Sam Magazine, and joining me in person is Scott Brandy, president of Ski Areas of New York. Uh, He is in person along with three of our panelists, um, of our five panelists today. Um, So two are calling in as usual, and three are here because we are at the Ski Areas of New York and PA Fall Industry Gathering. Um, And Scott joined us for our last small area huddle last fall, um, so we're thrilled to have him back and in the hot seat um, helping to co-host this huddle the next hour. Um, as you know, New York is represented by the most independent small ski areas. So um, it's great to have Scott's expertise on the, on the topic. We- NSAA President Kelly Pollack joined the conversation to share the latest from her team. We, as you know, we always ask um, Kelly to come and kind of update us on anything that's, um, that NSA is working on. Um, and I think... Um, you and I talked earlier that obviously the Biden mandate coming down and how that's going to play out for Scarias um, as far as, you know, the two things that I, I see a lot of questions around is the how the hundred plus is being counted and are we going to be considered amusement venues and be under that guidance. And uh, I don't know if you're any closer to the truth and I know these things are week to week, but uh, let us know what you're hearing. Yeah, so we don't have, um, there's there's no changes uh, for those of you who have seen us on the road. Uh, what we've been saying since September 9th when President Biden announced these vaccine mandates, nothing really has changed. There's two parts. There's the executive order for federal contractors. Uh, that only applies to you if you're on Forest Service land. And um, we believe that that will only apply to new or renewed ski area permits. So if you uh, have an existing ski area permit, it should not um, apply to you. And that is important because the federal contractor um, executive order, um, there, there will not be an option to avoid the vaccine by doing weekly COVID testing. Um, so we'll keep you up to date on that. It sounds like in talking to Geraldine Link in our office, the task force who is writing uh, the, you know, the definitions for some of these things, um, there's going to be more guidance on September 24th. What most ski areas are focused on is um, President Biden also announced that there would be a requirement um, for businesses with 100 or more employees um, to mandate back vaccinations. And um, this requirement was not part of that executive order I just mentioned, but um, it was announced as part of Biden's six point plan. And the rules are still being written by OSHA. Um, and 
we do not know what the definition of an employee is. So we do not know if that's full-time year-round, if um, seasonals are included in that, uh, there is no guidance, but medical exemptions based on what he said uh, will be provided. So you would be able to get a medical or religious exemption, and then your employer could require, would have to require you to get weekly testing and you, and the employer could also have other requirements like mass, remote work situations, um, and things like that. So that's what we know right now. Um, everything is on our website and we keep that updated. And in the meantime, NSA recommends that you use this time, those of you who have 100 or more employees, to start preparing um, for this and, uh, and having discussions at your ski area and reach out to us with any questions you may have and we'll add them to our FAQs and put answers as soon as we find them out. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kelly. You're um, so Scott, let's turn to you first for a bit of a scene setter. You know, our topic is small areas. They have unique opportunities and challenges um, that all were on display last season. So with the state with the most small ski areas, help, help set the scene. Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, I don't think we have to uh, look too far back or think about today or look too far forward after hearing Kelly's summary that we're still in such a state of flux and we're still being faced with challenges in the unknown and waiting for direction from um, government that we really have very little input or control over. So uh, we're gonna be dealing and we're gonna have to continue to be flexible and nimble. And I think our industry, large, medium or small, responded incredibly well with help from people like Olivia and everybody at SAM and the NSAA. Um, and of course, your regional associations and others. Um, last year, whether you were large, medium, or small, you went into the season saying, okay, what do we need to do? We were all nervous. We were frankly scared. And look at the opportunities that the season brought us, especially the small ski areas. Schools were closed, so kids were home. Mom and dad, for the most part, were working at home. Movie theaters were closed. The arcades were closed. So indoor recreation was shut down. What was a safe, healthy alternative? Outdoor recreation, outdoor recreation that ski areas offered. And if your ski area was local, you could see the lights if they had night skiing from downtown, that's where you went. People came and they kept on coming. And what ended up being a very, very challenging situation ended up being an incredible opportunity. So what we're gonna hear from our panelists today is how each of them dealt with this challenge slash opportunity. And we're gonna break it down into different areas of their operations. And I think we're gonna hear some really interesting stories from some geographically diverse, but similar in size ski areas. Great, thanks so much, Scott. So let's dive in and the next hour. Um, let's start with how our panelists did uh, last winter. And small areas, as Scott said, had their moment. And for all the misery the pandemic um, has inflicted on us both personally and professionally, small areas thrived for the most part last winter and people, as people stayed closer to home. So let's see if that was the case with our panelists today. So um, Troy Hawks is the marketing and sales director at Sunlight Colorado. Troy, how, how was it for you last winter? Oh, thank you, Olivia. Thank you for everybody for putting on the round table today. Uh, we had a fantastic year last year, uh, a record season, certainly record in both revenues and a record in visitation for our short-term short history, 
uh, history when we've had a shortened season. We could dig back to records in the 1960s, maybe showing some visitation in the 80s. That was more of a last year was phenomenal. One of our measuring marks is uh, cars on the road. Normally we have one day where our parking lots overflow onto the road. And last year we had eight days. Uh, we like to call those on the road again days. So it was a great year. Awesome. Thanks, Troy. Uh, Matt O'Brien, General Manager, Oak Mountain, New York. Matt, how about you? Our year this year was, uh, this past season was amazing. Uh, best year in terms of revenue and uh, skier visits. Uh, so we as a small industry up in a uh, small area up in uh, Speculator, New York and Oak Mountain, it was a great year for us. So it was good. Awesome. Uh, let's turn to Rebecca Sampson, Director of Operations at Mount Peter, New York. Thanks, Olivia. Thanks for having us too. Yeah. This is, these are great. Um, we had our highest grossing season last year, but our participant numbers were down because we were on capacity restrictions through New York. Um, but it was a great season and we made the best of what we were all given and hopefully we'll have, it'll follow with another great year. Yeah, let's hope. Uh, Lori Phillips, general manager at Ski Big Bear in Pennsylvania. We also likewise um, saw a banner year last year. We were up 70% in revenue and down 30% in staff. So that was a crazy <laughs> season we just had. But it was also really telling in terms of we had a very strong team. The team that was working was exceptional and our guests were extremely appreciative. So it was, it was definitely a, a learning experience, but also very exciting. Awesome. Uh, Jeff Staley, General Manager, Detroit Mountain in Minnesota. So, Olivia, yeah, we had a, um, a, a moderate year, about our third best on record. Um, the same challenges as every other ski area. Um, uh, food and beverage and retail, uh, you know, we're, we're tough in, with the capacity restrictions. Our season pass sales, however, were up about 40% over previous year and um, more than COVID, uh, we are in the Northwestern part of Minnesota, which it, it gets pretty cold here. And we were forced to be closed uh, 10 operation days when the temperature never got above negative 10 um, straight temperature. So that probably impacted our overall revenue and our visits um, more than COVID. Okay, it's always back to the weather, isn't it? Uh, Avery Patrick, marketing director and part owner of Showdown Montana. Hi, everybody, and thank you, Olivia. Um, Showdown had an awesome year, um, record revenue. Um, we struggle a little bit with our season pass counts, but like Troy said, we had a lot of days where our parking lot was full and cars were parked on the highway, so that was fun to see. And then also a huge season pass sale in March, and then we have a fall pass sale going on right now, and the sales are up 40%, and it's not done yet, so it's looking like it's going to be a good year. Awesome. So um, let's just stay in the moment of all that good news. Uh, and I think we will stay on the positives and talk a little bit about some of the specific things that worked and that will be continued for this season. So Jeff, let's start with you. Um, you said you had really strong, I think you said the strongest season pass sales since you opened uh, at Detroit Mountain. So congrats on that. Um, and another up was the yield. You said was the, the yield was up even though visits were, were down and that's a common theme we saw. Um, your tubing operation specifically, you uh, made a lot of changes there with online reservations and timed sessions. Can you take us a little bit through some of those changes you did last season and what you're gonna keep heading into this season? 
Sure. Yeah. Like everybody else, we were forced into um, online ticketing and reservations. And, and that certainly helped with um, the tubing area that uh, generally sees more demand than we have capacity and in controlling that ultimately made for a better customer experience, but uh, also helped with the staffing model and and here where we're contending with um, weather and, and changing hours based on temperature, it really allowed us to focus um, the traffic into the core of the day. So, you know, we could tell if we were going to sell out on a day and, uh, you know, open up additional time at the end of, of the day. So, yeah, that, that was a big change. We will certainly um, continue that. It, um, it, it certainly, you know, makes staff much, much more at ease when they, they know what that uh, traffic is going to be throughout the day, rather than never knowing if all of a sudden, you know, 200 people are going to be standing in front of them and, and only have room for 100 of them. Uh, so that that was definitely a positive. And, and yes, our yield was up and uh, partly because we challenged uh, the typical adult and junior season, senior um, ticketing prices and went to one standard pricing. Um, and that made the online shopping experience a little bit easier and also helped with our capacity controls. And we will certainly continue that into next season. And um, you have a very um, well-known top um, bike park operation there. So you know, you've had two summer operations under COVID with your bike park and as well, you didn't have events last year, but you've had them this year. So what, what can you tell us about um, the year over year from, from, and I know you can't really compare events because they weren't on last year, but to compare it to 19. Yes, uh, this summer, our traffic is, is down about 40% compared to last year. However, our season pass sales um, were still up uh, almost 10%. And um, I, I think the idea of getting out and recreating in a, in a summer pass is a little bit more affordable than a winter pass. Um, people felt compelled to still purchase um, when they maybe were not coming out. Certainly, you know, last year we were not competing with any activities, right? I mean, we were the only game in town um, to get out get outside and, and bike. And uh, this year we're competing with weddings and concerts and sporting events and travel and all that normal stuff that we do. Um, but comparing to our 2019 season, um, we, are, we are about flat with traffic and up about 15% in revenue. So, you know, we're, we're definitely going back to normal with summer um, activities. Um, you asked about our, our concert. We put on a, a concert every year and uh, it did not happen last year. Um, but this year we were up about 250 people in attendance. So we were about, you know, 3,300 people in attendance um, compared to uh, 3,000 in 2019. And our revenue was up um, uh, much more beer sales. People were certainly happy uh, to be out and in, in socializing, mm -hmm. you know, mid-June. So, um, you know, that, that was good to see. Great. Thanks for sharing all that. And Scott? Yeah, let me uh, jump over to uh, Lori. Um, 
rental shop operations typically are one of our more profitable departments. And uh, when we spoke earlier, uh, you talked about your rental operations and what you did last winter to um, make things work more smoothly, maximize profits, maybe also address that bottleneck in the rental shop. Would you tell us more about that, please? So I don't know that we had any grand idea. Our main goal was we have a very small rental shop like many smaller ski areas have. And um, we focused on keeping the line outside. We limited the number of rentals that we sold per day because we didn't want to overpromise. Uh, this The line outside was daunting because normally they all squeeze into the rental shop. And it's really hard to tell where you're supposed to go with a queue when they're all shoved inside. But I think once they got inside, we had individual pods for them and they really enjoyed kind of getting that individual attention. They didn't feel lost in there. Um, we did advanced reservations for our rental shop in terms of advanced sales, but we did not require a specific time. Um, so between the hours of 10 and two, the line was the longest. We allowed people to come in the night before and get rentals the next day without charging them extra to help spread out the, the line. But overall, um, I think our staff did a great job of hustling to change how they serve the guests. And I think our guests really appreciated the change. Um, one more thing on rentals. I know a lot of our ski areas moved parts of the rental process outdoors. Did you do that? We didn't move a specific part outside. We just handled the flow of our traffic. We have two doors in and out of our rental shop. So we had one for entry, we had one for exit. And then at night that reversed in terms of the returns came in a separate door and we had a tablet there so that our guests didn't have to spend as much time in the rental shop. A more efficient operation. Uh, when it comes to ticket sales, we also discussed that uh, you went to RFID and I believe you said you went from seven ticket windows to three and who knows maybe that's the beginning of the end for ticket windows huh? yeah it definitely was a big move for us to make we did not allow any guests inside of our building so in doing so we had to eliminate some tickets we went completely rfid we had two pickup boxes outside and three ticket windows we found that our guest was not ready to go completely online. We were still having to help a lot of guests to be able to complete a transaction. But overall, the move to e-commerce has been a big push for us and a very positive move. And our, our guests, I think, overall appreciate it. And being able to pick up that ticket at the pickup box without having to stand in line was, was huge. One more uh, area of interest that you mentioned, ski school. Pretty amazing. So our ski school... We're an upside down mountain with double fixed grip lifts. So we're doing a lot of private lessons instead of group lessons. And um, we do have some group lessons, but the majority is done in a private setting. And we sold out every hour of the day that we were open. And so this season, we are actually looking for a solution for what we can do to help um, accommodate a guest that comes in that may be a never ever and we don't have any room left in lessons. And so we're developing an area that hopefully we'll be able to put a couple of staff and serve more guests with some type of instruction to be able to help them because we could not accommodate all the lessons that we needed to last year. Thanks so much, Lori. Um, Matt, over to you. You had your best ever um, skier visits. Um, and we should note you are a Thursday to Sunday operation. Friday to Sunday. Friday to Sunday. 
Um, and you as well said tech was a complete boon for you, not just for your customers, but for staff. Can you explain a little bit? Well, for staff, for you know, customers, everything was great. Um, the reason being is we had reservations. Uh, we had a limited amount of people we could have. Um, so for our guests and our employees, they knew who was coming all the time. You know, guests knew there was a certain amount, of course, but our employees knew what was happening every single day. Teching wise for rentals, they knew what was coming. We had a two, a four, and an eight hour uh, ticket, as well as reservations for rentals. And they kind of overlapped so that there were people coming in while there were people going out. So they, there was no real, it, it was very smooth in transition. So it wasn't really a lot of bottlenecking. Uh, we had extra equipment this year. So we were able to um, tech up equipment ahead of time for the next group. Their skis stayed outside. They came in for the boots in their little pod, made sure the boots fit. If they fit, they went outside to find their skis with a tech to make sure that everything worked and away they went. Could they, um, if they won't booked for a two, could they go to a four? Could you, can, and if they couldn't, if, they, gonna... if they were available, yes. If, uh, if the tickets were available for a four hour ticket, they could, um, that was really our last one to sell out was usually the two hour tickets. The eight went quick, the fours, cause a lot of people like to come for four hours and ski, you know, they're the. I'm going to come for four hours, two hours, but you know, I'll come in the morning and then I'll leave and then, or I'll come in the afternoon. So it was, it worked out well. So I think we'll keep that going. And what would you know what the split is between the demand on the two, the four and the eight was, was for the families. They really like the whole eight hours just because they want to come. They're going to make the whole day of it. The, the, you know, the couples they'll come for four hours, they'll ski in the morning, ski in the afternoon, and then they'll head out, you know, and that they're happy with that. And who does the two? Two hours are those, um, say, the boomers, the boomers that um, can only ski for two hours. <laughs> the <laughs> knees can only go so long, and they're like, okay, I'm done. So they pick a time in their two-hour slot. They come, they enjoy it, and they're out the door. They're happy. Awesome. That's great. <laughs> I, I won't take that personally. <laughs> I was looking right at you, Scott. <laughs> well, you know, small ski areas, the, the heart and soul of small ski areas is introducing people to the wonderful world of skiing, the social activities and everything that we're all over the moon about. Rebecca at Mount Peter had an amazing year last year, uh, overall, and especially when it comes to ski school. And she's gonna tell a little story, but when you look at our ski school operations, a lot of us depend upon our school groups and ski racing. And we both saw a big drop off last year in, in groups and in ski racing. But Rebecca was able to pull out a, what's the percent of increase in ski school? <laughs> yeah, say it. Come on, say it. 500%. 500%. It's crazy. Tell us about it. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> it was insane. So as we all know, COVID was crazy. And midweek, um, we sold out on weekends, as everyone did. So midweek, the increase in skier traffic with groups is we developed a program of build your own group with these moms that would just bring their neighborhood kids because they were comfortable with um, having that group of kids be together. And we sold out every hour we were open in lessons, whether it was a build your own group up to six kids as per New York state capacity guidelines. Um, and private lessons. And then it followed over into the weekends and the weekends became private lessons. Then these build your own group lessons with the family lessons. And it was, it was just banner. We're going to keep it. And, you know, hopefully our school groups will be back this year. Um, 
but ski school was off the charts. It was, it was incredible. And overall, you, you, you said your overall experience based on not only your observations, but your feedback from your customers was the lack of crowding was really yes. embraced. Yes. So, you know, the feedback that we got um, at the mountain was people were so happy that we really stuck to our capacity. We didn't, we didn't push it. We didn't push our limit. And um, they got handheld service in the words of John Jacobs. Um, we went Deer Valley and um, people really appreciated it. You know, we, we greeted them, we parked them, we helped unload their cars and we set them off on where they needed to go. And even though the rental lines were long and just like Lori said, and we made all those changes, but, um, and even with e-commerce, they had a great experience and season pass sales are sold out. It's great. And one small follow-up, you said there were kind of two classifications of beginners that you noticed that uh, there was the absolute beginners and then the advanced beginners and that a little difference right. in how they. Yeah, approached. normally, um, you know, we're beginner, learn to ski, family, small mountain, as most of us are in this room. And, um, you know, our first time beginner numbers were down. They were down. But our advanced beginners, the people who had come one time before, were up. So they had that little, the little push of, yeah, we can do this. Yes, it can be safe. They're coming out of New York City, so they know what to expect. And um, the beginners, the advanced beginner numbers were were way up. Way up, yeah. It was it was a lot a lot for everybody for a beginner to take on, not including just it learning is. to ski, but it the is. whole process of yep. uh, capacity and all that. Um, Troy, let's go to you. Uh, Troy, you. Um, did some data. You did some uh, through guest research, and um, you're going to share a little bit. You had some interesting takeaways from the data that you got. Um, so uh, let's let's see what you learned from your data. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Olivia. Uh, we did do some data. In fact, we did data a couple of years ago. You know, there's a lot to get done with the marketing, communications, PR, and guest service effort. And uh, I can say that surveying our guests kind of took a back row to some of our more guest-facing uh, efforts to date. Sunlight kind of has a, an awareness issue. A lot of people aren't aware of sunlight. But last year, we did go out with a survey to our guests uh, after having the rug pulled out from underneath us and having it closed down. We definitely wanted to get some feedback from our guests and uh, use the survey to fix any problems. This year, we went back out with another survey. We kicked it up a notch. As you can see, we enlisted the services of uh, Guest Research Inc. I'm expecting that to take up that mention right there. It should take about 20% off of our bill for surveying in the future, I hope. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, we really had some nice uh, findings here. We had a lot of new people at the mountain, so we really wanted to know how they felt about, at, how they felt about sunlight. More importantly, uh, the people that put on the surveys will tell you just the act of surveying guests after their visit will help your loyalty. So again, after seeing a lot of new people at the mountain last season, we wanted to do what we can to build our loyalty. So another good reason to get into the survey, overnight stays. And uh, that right now represents about 53% last year of our visitation at Sunlight. That is a phenomenal growth. I'm gonna guess that's about 15 to 25% up what we would see in a normal year. And just fantastic. I mean, when you have those overnight stays, ski school, food and beverage, every else, rentals, every else, everything else seems to work. So that was an incredible finding. But the reality is, is we do think that that might be somewhat of a mirage 
uh, again, because kids weren't in school last year. We were seeing uh, people from out of state on non-holiday weekends, and uh, we're actually budgeting that those overnight stays are probably going to be down about 10% uh, conservatively this year is how we're budgeting. The likelihood to recommend sunlight, our net promoter score there is 83. I'm told that's a pretty good score for your first time surveying guests. So we're really happy about that as well. How did you hear about sunlight? This was really interesting as well too. You can see uh, personal recommendation uh, and internet search is very high. You know, I was, uh, and interestingly, you'll see paid advertising doesn't really show up on the map and it wouldn't have because we basically pulled the plug on all of our paid advertising last year. So the personal recommendation is really strong. We all know what word of mouth and how powerful that is. And certainly internet search is important throughout the season. I asked people, how did you hear about sunlight? And a lot of them said, we just Googled cheapest lift ticket in Colorado. And sunlight happened to have the cheapest lift ticket in Colorado. So uh, that benefited us greatly last year. So uh, just interesting findings. And um, tell us, you know, through the data, you learned that, you know, a lot of the increase in the overnights, a lot of new people in town, um, and you created a, a program just for them, the, the Learn to Shine? Well, we do have our, oh, the Learn to Shine program. Yeah, no, that's been ongoing. Uh, it was popular last year with the overnights because they were in for three days. Uh, kids can take three lessons. They schedule their lesson when they want to, and you end up with a season pass at the end. And we certainly had a lot of locals taking us up on that too. People new to the sport that live locally uh, like that Learn to Shine product. I've seen some of other areas in Colorado have adopted that. So uh, that product existed and it served us well last year. A couple other products that we had going into last season, we already had a midweek pass and we also had a 10 day pass going into that. And we certainly saw strong growth in those products. So uh, there was a lot of good things in place for us at Sunlight to see us through a uh, successful season last year. Okay, and then um, the great numbers you're showing here, but you're also seeing, you know, the writing on the wall with some things not being there to help get that those high levels again. So you said you're budgeting a certain percentage down this season, knowing you're not going to have some things like the midweek business um, being quite so strong. Yeah, we are. I mean, we think last season was a bit of an exception. It's hard to see your numbers grow that greatly in one year and think you're here to stay or that you've reached some new threshold. I'm I would have to see three to five years of that data to really feel convinced that we're on a new threshold. I mean, we heard uh, foreign accents, European accents in our base area at sunlight last year. That never happens, but that sure makes you feel like you've made it to the next level of ski areas. But uh, again, with school back in session, kids are a big game here. We also saw a lot of new season pass holders uh, at the mountain. And we think that was probably spillover from the larger resorts that we're in between. And we think probably some of those pass holders might go back to those world-class experiences that they're accustomed to. Uh, so combined the overnight stays and the pass sales last year, we're budgeting 10% down uh, this year and really think that's more a market correction than anything. And if we turn out 10% down, we'll still have an incredible year this year. We'll be right back after we thank Huddle and PodSAM partner Doppelmeyer. As the quality, technology, and market leader in ropeway engineering, Doppelmeyer Garaventa operates production plants as well as sales and service centers in 50 countries worldwide. To date, the group has built more than 15,000 installations for customers in 96 nations. Flexibility, know-how, and pioneering spirit make the group ideally equipped to meet all the challenges of traditional and new markets. Learn more at www.doppelmeyer.com www.doppelmeyer.com
Avery, your turn from Showdown. Now, you're a small ski area, and like a lot of small ski areas, I really should say any size ski areas, we had to deal with limited capacity for our interior space. And when we were talking the other day, you mentioned some of the unique solutions that you put into place, not only for where your skiers dealing with their bags and their bring-alongs, but also uh, relative to F&B. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so for most of the season last year, our lodge um, ran at 50% occupancy. So a lot of people were for, you know, we didn't allow bags in the lodge as a lot of resorts did. Um, so a lot of people were booting up outside. And so we bought um, three shipping containers and we had um, one in the park parking lot along with um, a lot of outdoor restrooms and then we had two down at the base area with lockers in there uh, but that provided people a place to get out of the weather and boot up and keep their gear outside of the lodge and that worked pretty well and then um, also added takeout windows and then this summer we bought a wood-fired pizza bus so um, we're thinking We'll continue to have more outdoor options. Uh, another fun thing we did is we had little fire pits with marshmallows for kids. So, so people had a place to go warm up and a lot of families really enjoyed those. If anyone wants to go on Showdown's uh, website, you can see they're uh, really uh, maxed out pizza and, and food trucks. So you guys did a really cool job on that. Uh, thank you. Thank you. All right, we're going to shift a little bit too. I mean, those are some great positives um, from last season, things that will um, carry over this season. Um, now we're going to change a little bit to some of the challenges um, that are perhaps a little bit different this winter compared to last winter. And um, as we heard, COVID accelerated needed changes across our businesses. But, um, you know, and we have the outdoor environments, we proved we could do it. It's, you know, it's, there's no spread of the virus in our outdoor environments. We, we pulled off a win in that respect. Um, and many scariest had their banner season um, overall or in, in key areas. Um, but it'll be hard to replicate this winter. We don't have some of the things as Scott had mentioned, um, schools in session, sports are back on, you know, movie theaters are open. So how do we replicate the success um, of last winter? and pull out an, another win. And so let's pick at that a little bit with our guests. And Avery, I'm gonna start with you again. So um, let's start, you know, obviously um, COVID's still here and we've got to figure out protocols. Um, and it's, again, we're sitting here trying to figure out what those protocols are and they're changing. So nothing new about that, but what worked last year in terms of um, figuring out where to land on your protocols that you're hoping for this year and where, where'd you get your guidance? Yeah. Uh, so something that really helped us is the Montana Ski Area Association set a mask mandate and we had signs made at lifts for all the ski areas, um, you know, requiring masks and lift lines and places like that. And so that was really nice to have the support to say, no, this is our standard across ski areas in Montana. And we haven't, uh, our fall meeting is next week. So we haven't set guidelines for this year. And I'm not sure if we'll all be able to get on the same page like last year, but that was really helpful. Um, and then our message was, we just want to stay open like everybody's was. And then we put a lot of care into our signage and like tried to make it fun a little bit. 
and had like mask up partner, like with cow, you know, just cowboys and fun little signs, um, with timing for washing hands and got a lot of feedback that just felt people felt like we really cared and it made it a lot easier to enforce a lot of the mandates and people were a lot happier to work with us and happy to be skiing. And what about your, um, your staffing situation heading into this season? We, at this point, we um, won't be requiring um, vaccinations and then um, we don't have our mask policy set yet. And, and, and are you short staffed like many operators are? Uh, we don't know yet, but we're assuming yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we talked about, um, you know, you had a funny comment, you know, we said, well, what are you doing about it? And you said money and begging <laughs> and, and uh, a little bit of nepotism uh, and that all, all your cousins work at Showdown. Yes. So, not sure that can help other operators, but <laughs> there, there's your strategy. Yeah. Hire your family. <laughs> um. So uh, I'm going to move over to Matt now. Matt, you, um, you know, one interesting thing that happened uh, with Avery that I didn't mention, you know, Bridger Bowl kept selling out of their reservations and they got a lot of the overflow, um, which is a boon for them. And you had a similar situation to that. Yeah, about 45 minutes from us uh, is Gore Mountain uh, in very large ski area. And every weekend they were only open for their season's pass holders. So that really helped us out tremendously. Um, this year we saw, we opened up our season's pass sales. We've seen a lot of uh, new families that we've never seen before. So we're attributing that to um, with what happened with Gore not being able to uh, allow people on the weekend. So they all came to us. They enjoyed that family atmosphere, safe family atmosphere. They felt comfortable, wasn't overcrowded. You know, our thing is, is you can, every trail on the mountain comes right back to the same spot. And I think parents like that where they can go inside or grab a beer, come back outside, sit by a fire pit and watch their kids go up and down the hill and they're happy as can be. And do we know what Gore is doing this year? So do you know if you can count on some of that? I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure yet. I've heard things, but I'm not hundred percent sure of what they're going with. I, you know, I don't know. Okay. And Avery Bridger bowl, what's the word? Are they, you know, that you had the same situation where you got a lot of. No, Safe. I don't think they're requiring. Okay. Sorry, no reservations this year. Okay. I, I have one question for you, Matt. You typically operate, as Olivia said before, you're closed Monday through Thursday. Now, with that unique situation with Gore this last winter, were you tempted to open up a few more days? <laughs> we were to talked about. It. We were tempted. We did talk about it. Uh, we usually just did a Friday afternoon. And that was all we did uh, with the ski ski lessons that came in for the ski school uh, for the local schools. That was our Friday afternoon. Uh, this year, last year, we decided, okay, let's try doing all day on Friday, and it was working worked really well. We just didn't know if we can do a Monday, staffing wise. You know, we're in a small area, very population is very small, and we use we rely on our high school kids, you know, to help out. And if they're in school, which last year all of our kids actually were in school, we were very lucky enough, fortunate enough to have our kids. Uh, five days a week in school. So it worked out well, except for not having enough staff. For, for those of you uh, participating in this huddle, uh, Hamilton County has 3,400 residents. So that gives you a little bit of background about where uh, Oak Mountain is, right, Matt? The least populated county east of the Mississippi. Yes, sir. <laughs> so, um, Lori, um, we, we're talking about how things are going to be different. And I believe you mentioned that your schools are kind of going hybrid. They're 
limited hours. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think we all can expect changes, obviously, with, with how kids are going back to school and also how you're going to try to maintain your growth in ski school with that happening. Yeah, so what we're starting to see in Pennsylvania is some schools have already had to shut down due to COVID. Um, some have done some hybrid days because of, of COVID outbreaks in the school. And so we don't know really what to expect from this winter. I think it'll be interesting to see how it progresses. I think like all of us have mentioned, we're kind of waiting to see and we're, we're ready to pivot. There's that word again that we all hate, um, but we're ready to we're ready to do what we need to do to accomplish what needs to be done. I think overall, as we look at staffing, we have definitely raised our pay rates. We're being more flexible. We were talking this summer how there were times that you know you'd have a staff person who was late several times, and normally you'd be like, you know what, we just don't need to deal with this anymore. And now it's like yeah, but will you be here tomorrow? <laughs> and, you know, we really, we really um, learned to work a lot better with, with real life challenges that our staff face. But we are starting our recruiting process earlier. We're talking about how we can, you know, maybe take two people to fill one job because we need to meet the needs of, of our employees and we need our employees to meet our business needs. And, and it's definitely taking some adaptability that maybe we've had the luxury of not having to work so hard for before. You know, along the lines of staffing, it's a, a little antidote to share. While I was driving over here, it's like these fast food restaurants were competing. One said uh, $15.50 an hour. The other said $15.75 an hour. And the last one down the street said $16 an hour. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's part of what we're dealing with. We have to pay people a livable wage. And uh, otherwise, I think we're going to have to struggle with staff issues. You did mention a, a, a comment about trying to give your staff a little love and something extra. Could you tell us about that? Well, <laughs> I don't know that we're any different from anyone else, but I think we all learned how much we appreciate our key players in our, in our teams. And, you know, we just everything from from bonuses to, you know, making lunches to, you know, try this past Friday, we had dinner um, together with, with our crew, um, just trying to get people excited about, hey, we work together. This is a team. We're all in this together. And, and we're just trying to take good care of them and, and just give them as many perks as we possibly can. It's, it's hard. We get caught in the in the day-to-day -day operations and we're thinking about all the fires that we're putting out, but our staff are right there on the front lines with us. And it's really important that we, that we recognize the efforts that they put into this because they're, they're working just as hard right alongside. I had one more yeah. uh, thing for you, Lori. Again, it's something we all spoke about in preparation for this huddle. Uh, we spoke about snow play, about having a fun area. Uh, for moms and dads and grandmas and grandparents. And I mentioned that on our winter jam, uh, the area that's most popular in Central Park when we make snow is where the parents can play with their kids. Um, I, you all have probably done some of this and you've all seen those same results. Would you tell us a little bit about that? All right. So we are, we're fortunate to be located in a private community. And so our, our setup's a little bit unique. Uh, directly across from our ticket booth, we have a playground area. And it is just as popular in the wintertime as it is in the, in the summertime. Um, in fact, I think that slide gets a little faster in the wintertime. And um, 
So we do have a lot of activity happening there with kids that are too young to, to maybe go skiing or parents or grandparents that may have shown up on a day that we're not open. We're closed Tuesdays and Wednesdays, um, but they, they show up there and they're getting their kids outside to play. And then of course the natural progression is perhaps a tubing ticket um, and then um, ultimately skiing for those that may be a little bit nervous, but I'm sure some others have made some much more drastic moves for outside play. Do, do, uh, have, you, have either of you done anything with uh, snow play areas? Uh, we did, yep. Over in our tubing area, we have this little tykes area um, where parents can bring their kids and go down like a teeny tiny little tubing run. And then we have the Sun Kid Rotundo. It's like a merry-go-round. It's got tubes on it. And five bucks, you can let your kid ride around on that. Let me tell you, there's a lot of $5 bills floating around. Put the bar right there. Yeah, that's where, <laughs> exactly. the, yeah. that's where the rubber meets the road. It's yeah. great. Make it a little it's absolutely fantastic. And then, you know, our staff has like little sand shovels and pails and the kids make snowmen and it's fantastic. That's yeah, awesome. It there, really well. there are some, and I see more resorts getting into this snow play and it's great if we're seeing a lot of new participants to our mountain environments. Boreal um, expanded a an area and created programming around snowmen. They had like a snowman field with programming and music and lights and, and Mountain High has one of the early adopters of a snow play area that they charge and they're building a second snow play area because they get so many people outside the LA market um, that just that just come up um, and they they have animated and programmed around it and it's and they charge. So, because um, the, the lift up to it, they make a lift ride and then the snow play area. So it's sort of a combined experience. So. Um, we, okay, so Rebecca, uh, <laughs> so we're gonna go, um, you said you're hoping schools stay in session uh, and don't go remote, which, you know, some people would, that helped, you know, for, for it, but for you, you want those school groups back They're What part of your business are they? Well, they're 20% of our business. So, you know, that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night school groups when, you know, 30 buses come in the parking lot, that, that's a big number for us, um, especially during the week at night when it's cold and windy and, you know, mom's not taking Johnny skiing. Um, so we want the schools back. Of course, we want the staff to be able to work, um, but we want the schools back. And not only for ski school, but also for racing as well, because that's a big part of our program as well. And where are you at with, I'm just switching completely, but uh, for masks and vaccines, if staffing is, is an issue and um, where are you at with, with your? We're not sure yet. Not sure yet. Yeah, okay. we're waiting. We're waiting for guidelines. We're waiting to see what Skiers of New York does and how we can all work together to make it as reasonable as possible for everyone so that our guests feel safe, our staff feel safe, but you know, we're all on the same page. So we're just, we're waiting right now. And I think that's a, a theme is, is people wanting to align regionally, nationally. We did it last year. We did it super successfully. Scott has a great story where leaning into, leading into the season last year, he said they broke out into a bunch of subcommittees. They leaned in on the association and sorted through rental and ski school and all the things and then submitted it to New York State and, and got full approval. So we did safety like, in numbers. Yeah, we did like workshops and like small committees. And for me, it was great because I got a chance to work with people I normally don't work with. Normally, you're running an association, you're dealing with your board of directors. And it was really cool. We got a lot of great operational advice that we implemented uh, across the state. Um, and Rebecca, one last, um, you talked a lot about um, 
your your nervousness with the staff um, and the burnout factor having come off a really tough season. So do you have any thoughts about, you know, are you talking through how you can help them head into another crazy season? Yeah, um, we are nervous, you know, very optimistic, you know, normally weather is our biggest worry, but it, it's not, <laughs> I wish it was, um, but we are, we're nervous about the staff piece and, and burnout. We had a lot of burnout last year, and, you know, when a normal 35, 40 hour employee is working, you know, 35 to 40 hours and they're working 60, you know, yes, bonuses are great. And yes, overtime is great, but you know, they got tired. And um, so we're trying to come up with plans of incentivizing and have them bring a friend and they'll get a bonus at the end of the year, some sort of incentive to get more staff to work and to keep them motivated till the end of March. Right. And we've had um, our guy that we turned to for um, these kinds of questions. And he said, being intentional about acknowledging mental health is an issue and, and assume that everybody is having you know, some, a rough time with this. And they, and he was saying, you know, just so on the Sam staff last week, we just called uh, a long weekend coming up. We could all see this, the burnout and everything rising. And so we just called it for what it was, which is we're all just like mentally tapped. And so we, we call it the Simone Biles mental health weekend. So, <laughs> so we're all taking a page from Simone Biles and we're closing the office and, and everybody gets a little cash and, and then they have to have fun with it. So, it, but his point was, you know, the perks and all that are great, but he said just a simple acknowledgement that we are all bosses, staff, every level. This is permeating through our lives personally, professionally. And, uh, and you know, Dennis Eshbo was saying, you know, it, sometimes it's the same amount of workload, but because we have this, this worry, this constant worry hanging over us, everything feels a lot harder. Um, even though the, the workload might be the same. So our, our employees have the same stresses that we have. They have their, their kids at home. They're dealing with all the stresses that we deal with and we want them to work more hours. And it's a, it's a challenge. Yeah. You know? um, are you all, it gets, you're waiting to hear for guidelines. You don't know capacities. Um, are you going to keep, is anybody keeping reservation? You know, the, the reser those types of things, you're going to keep your reservation systems um, some of the, you know, some of the things that you can count on right now. I'll, I'll hop on this one, I guess. Yeah. Um, we are probably going to keep the reservations going. It was nice knowing for the employees who's coming, how many people are going to come, come. And then, um, we will have probably a ticket window open, um, on the weekends. So we'll have tickets to available, but we'll probably be at an, a, a higher price. Um, because if you want to save money, order ahead of time, you'll save money. And if you don't, you just want to come on a whim. All right. You'll have spots this year, but you know, you're going to pay for it. Yeah. What about F and B reservations? Has anybody don't use any apps for that? Any software for that? We just did advanced ordering, you know, and then we advertised it on the chairlift um, so that by the time they got to the top, hopefully they could go in and get their food. But um, overall, we just did a lot more takeout than than what we did reservations. And you'll continue that this year. Yeah, yeah. I think I think takeout has really grown immensely. And I think it's something that we can kind of control with sh a smaller staff. Um, you can handle, you know, a, a certain limited menu a little bit better with takeout than table seating. Okay. Um, we are getting close to the um, end of this hour and I wanted to do a little round round to all the, the uh, 
panelists here, and let's start with um, Jeff. Jeff, what are you most optimistic about um, leading into the season? And what are you, what are you, where are your fears and your concerns? Where are your top fears and concerns? Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic with that season pass continued growth. We're seeing strong numbers um, with our launch of, of passes. We're right on track um, for last year and we were up 40%. So if I can match that, um, you know, I'll be really happy about that. I think, you know, People just wanted to buy the pass out of convenience. That way, they didn't. We we didn't require reservations for pass holders, and I think we found that that people were certainly willing to pay for that convenience and freedom. Um, you know, we'll continue reservations as well. Um, we'll certainly increase the capacity, or hopefully, depending on how the the state of things is. But um, you know, that just uh, allows our staff to know who's coming and and what to expect, and. Um, yeah, I, 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 we're, you know, of, of course, a, a little bit concerned about um, the staffing situation um, and, uh, you know, um, you know, the, the, the masking, everybody has mask fatigue and, and that will be challenging again, especially if it's required in outdoor setting. I think we can all, um, you know, live with it inside and understand that um, it, it was difficult, um, you know, uh, trying to enforce it in lift lines when when people um, felt that their their exposure and the risk was low. So those are a couple of things. Okay, Avery, how about you? What's what's uh, what are you optimistic about, and where where do your concerns lie? Uh, like Jeff said, and like I mentioned earlier, we've had awesome season pass sales. So I'm pretty excited um, about all the new people who have found Showdown and I think like it. And then just worried about staffing and providing a good product to all these people who are coming. You know, we're, we had some really big Saturdays and just want people to have a good experience when they're at Showdown. And you said you were surprised at the kindness last year. And do you uh, feel that that's going to be there for you this year? Yeah, I think we were concerned going into the season um, with all of the mandates that we had to enforce, but people were just overwhelmingly kind and happy to be skiing. So that makes us a little less fearful for this year. Okay. Troy, how about you? Your, your, where's your optimism and where's your fear heading into the season? Yeah, certainly. I mean, in, uh, the economy still seems to be strong going into the season, uh, so that's a positive. Our season pass sales reflect that. Uh, I think the one thing that we want to do better this season than last season is communication with our guests. And say communication is kind of like a golf swing. It can always be better, right? So uh, I think this coming season will be a lot less stressful on all of us if we just expand our, our communications. It's really difficult to get your, all your department heads in one room during a pandemic uh, or even your entire staff. In, in one room during a pandemic, but we really like to do that. It kind of breaks the silos down, gets the departments to talk to each other, et cetera. And not a lot of that happened last year due to COVID. We don't want to get everybody sick in one staff meeting. So that was a real challenge. We're running out of time. I'd be interested in how other resorts are doing their staff meetings, uh, probably Zoom, I would imagine, but there's, it's hard to replace the human touch in those things. Uh, and then finally, I think our challenge is keeping our old school. There's a lot of change coming. Sunlight is adapting new technologies, new point of sale, new ticketing, uh, but we have to hang on to our old school. Like Bryce said, you know, we will continue to sell tickets at the ticket window. That's what some people expect. And that's what is in their mind when they think of an old school 
ski area, they think that they can walk up and buy a ticket from the ticket window. That's old school. And Sunlight needs to uh, identify the parts of its old school charm that it can hang on to amid all of this change. We're going to have to replace our chairlifts. And probably right now, our most identifiable, identifiable old school asset is our center poles. And when the center poles are gone, you know, where does our old school go? So that's a big question I'm uh, deliberating on uh, these days during my dog walks. That is an old school comment. Where's your center folds? <laughs> I'm gonna hand that off to you, Rebecca. <laughs> Center pole, center pole, riblet. Chairs, oh, we, we center heard center folds. folds, and we're like, no, no, center that, pole. that is There's some old school. I was Look speechless. <laughs> All right, <laughs> over to you, Rebecca. Where's your optimism <laughs> and your concerns? Well, our optimism is, um, you know, hopefully, after having such a good season last year, people are excited about winter sports again, which is awesome. Um, so we're, you know, hopefully bringing that through to this year and, um, with the investment of a new software system to iron out all the bugs we had last year. I mean, you know, we're excited. We're, we're thumbs up. We're pushing forward. Awesome. Matt. I mean, it seems like everybody's on the same boat. Seasons past sales have, have just, they're, they're great. Uh, it's good. New faces coming in, new names are coming in, which is great. So I think that's something to be happy about and excited about and just keeping things safe and keeping ourselves open. We did it last year. I think we can do it again this year, you know, and it should hopefully be a little easier because we've done it one year. So people should be trained for it. Yeah, absolutely. Laurie? And I would just echo the same. I think the demand is out there. We have a great product to offer our guests and we, we have a lot to look forward to in terms of what we can sell them. And um, we have great teams that work beside us and our, our biggest challenge will be keeping them there beside us. And that's something we have to keep at the top of our list. Awesome. Scott, last word with you. One thing we really haven't spoke about, one of the factors last year, at least in New York and our bordering states, um, is we did have a good year when it came to weather. And uh, it's the intangible and we can talk about all of these things, but Lord, it comes down to product. We still have to make a lot of snow uh, we still have to be ready for freeze, thaw cycles, and we still have to groom the heck out of it and provide a good experience uh, when they get here. There were many COVID silver linings for mountain resorts, small and large. And while challenges remain, we'll continue to cover them in huddles, on PodSAM, and in the pages of SAM Magazine, which you can get by subscribing now at www.saminfo.com slash subscribe. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The PodSAM advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Wintry Mix podcast guy. Thank you for tuning in to PodSAM. Mm-hmm.